Let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 1, if you have a Bible in, in front of you. And I'll be referring to that passage, uh, our second passage, but also several other passages in the Scriptures. But this one we'll keep coming back to a couple of times. Last week in our current sermon series on the Kingdom of God, we saw that in Jesus the Kingdom of God came. And that when He came to earth, He was the embodiment of God's Kingdom. He was the embodiment of God's people, God's place, His rule, King and blessing. And hopefully we went home thinking about that, excited about who Jesus is and ready to be a part of His kingdom. Because when Jesus was here with His disciples after His resurrection, they were excited. They were expectant. And if we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3, He was teaching them for a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And it prompts one of them in verse 6 to ask this question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Gathered around Jesus, expectant of what might happen because he's just come back from the dead, they start to wonder, is this it? Is this when all our hopes and dreams for the kingdom of God will be realized? But within minutes, if we scan down to verse 9, we read this about Jesus. After he said this, that was Jesus, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Jesus leaves. He ascends to heaven as he said he would. He's alive, but he's no longer present. What does this mean for the kingdom of God? If Jesus is the embodiment of the kingdom, does that mean the kingdom of God is no longer present either? Well, we did miss out a few important verses in what we read. Jesus, as we saw in verse 3, had been teaching them about the kingdom of God and reminded them that something was about to change. So in verses 4 to 5, we read these words. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in response to the question he was asked in verse 6, Jesus says this in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus reminds them time and time again that they are going to receive the Holy Spirit. This Spirit whom Jesus had during His ministry. This Spirit whom only the greatest prophets and heroes of the Old Testament had known. Well, this Spirit was going to be given to the whole church, to the disciples of Jesus. And so Paul affirms this in his letter to the Corinthians. He, we read this morning, Just as a body, the one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. 
For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. It is by the Spirit that we are formed into the body of Christ, that in sharing the Spirit we become united to Christ, part of His body. And so Paul affirms that the Spirit is given to all who have claimed to have placed their faith in Jesus. Indeed, in writing to the Romans, Paul says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. We cannot be a Christian without the Spirit. The Spirit is essential. And if you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and called out to Him to be your Savior, then the teaching of Scripture is that you have the Spirit. You have been given the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean? Especially in a modern world, what does that mean? What are the implications? Well, let's take our familiar headings of God's people, of God's place, of God's rule and blessing, and see what the Spirit does for the kingdom of God and for you and me. I'm just going to pause for a second. So we're talking about the Spirit, and we're going to look at what impact the Spirit has for the Kingdom of God under the headings that we've begun to get familiar with. And so let's begin with God's people. Last week we looked at those, this verse from John chapter 15. And Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And as we saw last week in calling himself the vine, Jesus is saying he's the true Israel the embodiment of God's people. And in calling his disciples the branches, he affirms that God's people includes all who are joined to Jesus. But really that raises a question, does it not? How do you become joined to Jesus? Is it through head knowledge? Is it about knowing your Bible really well? Is it about attending church? Well, earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus had a meeting with a man called Nicodemus, a leader of the Jewish people, and we read this. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. We come into the kingdom of God. We are joined to Jesus. We become part of God's people as the Spirit brings about a new birth. We are not then part of God's people because we come to church or because we are good people or even because of what we know about Jesus. And sadly, that idea still persists in our world. I've heard it said to me over the years, oh, well, such and such must be a Christian because they are deeply religious or they display Christian values. But being deeply religious is, is not confined to the church. I was uh, speaking to a friend just this week, uh, the prison chaplain down at Pullman actually, and he was describing going to a football game, I think it was Falkirk, 
and uh, he described the experience as being like at church. He goes to church himself, he is a Christian, uh, but he described the experience as being like at church because football, the game, had become for some people their religion, the thing that was foundational to life, that gave purpose and meaning to which they gave of themselves even sacrificially. It's maybe their religion, and many other things can be other people's religion, whether family, success, the list is endless. Maybe we're all religious about something. So being religious, even religious about church stuff, doesn't make you part of God's people. That doesn't make you part of the kingdom of God. Likewise, being a good person isn't confined to the church. And theologically, we explain this because of what we read in Genesis, that we're all made in the image of God. And even though the fall marred that image, there's still that image in us. And so there's still good in people. And so being a good person doesn't mean you're part of God's people, that you're part of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So the question arises, are you born again? You might ask, well, how can I know, Scott? Because unlike you, it wasn't maybe dramatic for me. So here are a few ideas, very quick. Jesus said in John 16 that the Spirit would bring conviction of sin. Have you been convicted of your sin? And is it an ongoing conviction? Because we slip up from time to time. Because if you've never been convicted, or if, from time, if it's been some time since you've been convicted, maybe you're not in such a great place with God. Or Romans 8, Paul says that the Spirit brings our adoption as children of God such that we can call God Abba, our Heavenly Father. Do you know God that way? Is God intimate and known to you? Is He real and personal? Because if God is just a nice idea, then maybe you're not in such a great place with Him. Maybe you know about Him, but maybe that internal change hasn't taken place. Or what about 2 Corinthians 5? Paul says that anyone who is a Christian has been given the Spirit and that an outworking of this is that we should no longer live for ourselves but for Jesus who died for us. Do you live for Jesus? Not perfectly because no one does, but is that the core of your being? Do you live for Jesus? Does he shape your choices, your values, your priorities? Because if Jesus is just a nice guy, or if you only think about Jesus on a Sunday and the rest of the week you call the shots, then I'm afraid you may not be in as such a great place as you think. Very truly, Jesus said, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You're only part of God's kingdom. You're only part of his people, part of the body of Christ, if you are born again. Jesus makes no ifs or buts. And you might not be able to say when it happened. Because for some people, I genuinely believe it happens when they are children. And you just grow up in the faith and you never know a time away from God, really. But if these aren't there, if this isn't your experience, then maybe it's just a little 
flag that, that something's not quite right. So are you born again? At the beginning, I, I said that all who are given the Spirit, all who are God's people are given the Spirit. And it's not only to facilitate this new birth. There are other reasons as well. So let's look at God's place. The kingdom of God includes God's people living in God's place, enjoying God's presence. And before the fall, God lived amongst his people in the Garden of Eden. After the fall, he began to form a people for himself. And he lived among them in the tabernacle. And then eventually, the temple. And last week, we saw that, that Jesus is the embodiment of God's place because he is God in the flesh. We might say Jesus is the true temple, the place of God's presence. But in the writings of the New Testament, we see the temple language being applied to the church. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians 6, you do not know that your bodies are temples of the, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? It's a natural development of what we've said. If we individually are now part of Jesus by the Spirit, then our very selves are temples of the Spirit. He resides in us. This language of temple is also used in Ephesians 2. Um, I would put it up on the screen, but I'm trying to save time, which you'll be glad of, maybe. And it talks about the Spirit dwelling amongst us as a community. And so, it's not just individually, but as a community, the Spirit dwells within us. God's place is now within His church because His church is within Jesus by the Spirit. And I think that should have an impact, don't you? If we make this claim, it really should have an impact. And I want to flesh out a few ways that that might be. Firstly, it should have an impact on us individually on how we live and on what we do. And that's why Paul probably says in so many of his letters, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You are God's people. You are his temple. So live as such. And we do so by living under the rule of God, just as Jesus did. Paul says that, that we're going to battle with sin, but it is by the Spirit that we put to death the misdeeds of the body, that we break free of the power of sin. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. One day we will be saved from the presence of sin. But in the meantime, there's still sin. But it's the power of sin that Jesus, by His Spirit, now seeks to break us free. And I wonder where you may need the Spirit's help today. Where, what sin is it you need power over to break free of? Where in your life do you need power to pursue the things of God? In some cases, it'll be a quick change. In some cases, it'll be a process that might mature faith and character. But where do you need the power of the Spirit so as to live under the rule of God? We also need to remember that promise given to Abraham. You will be a blessing, and all peoples on, on earth will be blessed through you. If we are God's people, and if we are the, 
temples of his spirit, then it shouldn't be just in our lives that makes a difference, but it should ripple out and affect the world around us. And so we read in Acts today, these words of Jesus, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. The blessings we have received should not just be kept to ourselves, we should seek to make them as available to everyone as we can. We are meant to be a witness, a signpost, an ambassador for the kingdom. And again, the Spirit helps us in this. That by His work in us, changing our character in the likeness of Jesus, our love for neighbor should increase and be seen. And so it's right to bring this donation to the food bank, but it shouldn't just be a one-off. Our boxes at the front and rear door should be overflowing every week if we are exuding the love of neighbor. But we can also be a signpost, a witness to God in other ways. For example, in our reading in Corinthians, we're reminded that we're all given gifts by the Spirit to use to build up the church and for our corporate mission. So like last week, can I ask once again, are you giving yourselves to the ministry of this congregation? You have been gifts to further and strengthen what God is doing amongst us and through us. Are you playing your part? But love of neighbor and use of gifts are only two ways that the Spirit works amongst us and through us to impact the world around us. And I want to spend just a little bit longer on this point of application because I read an interesting quote this week. See what you make of this. We cannot claim to be filled with the Spirit as individuals or as congregations if we are not active in evangelism. For the Spirit's great concern is to lead people to Christ. I wonder what you make of that. When I first read it, I was like, really? I'm not sure I can say that on Sunday, but here I am. You might, want, you might feel uncomfortable like I did. You might want to push back and say, well, Scott, you know, I'm a bit of an introvert. So am I, by the way. Um, you might not think that, but I am. I'm an introvert. Um, or it's the minister's job. Or I haven't been trained in sharing my faith. Or I never get the opportunity, Scott. Well, I think this writer is correct in saying that the Spirit's great concern, even the Spirit's greatest concern, is to lead people to Jesus. But how does he do that? He does that through God's people, through us. And the testimony of the church across the generations, beginning in the book of Acts up to our modern day, is that individuals and churches who share their faith are probably also individuals and churches who are full and overflowing with the Spirit. You, they might not know how to share their faith, they, but they will try or they will try to learn because it's an itch that just needs attention because the Spirit puts that burden on their heart. And they might make some terrible mistakes as they try and do it and make people feel really awkward, but it's an itch because the Spirit is active in them. And where that burden is weak or non-existent, either in an individual or in a community, 
then it's not to say you don't have the Spirit, because I've just spent lots of minutes telling you that you do have the Spirit. Because all in Christ have the Spirit. But have you come across those passages that talk about us being able to quench the Spirit? Turning off the tap, we might say, with regard to the Spirit's influence in our lives? Have you come across that, that passage that says we can grieve the Spirit? We can cut the Spirit to the heart? And I wonder if we step back from evangelism and we say, well, no, well, not me, God. The minister can do that, or the evangelist can do that, or someone else can do that. You're distancing yourself. And you're maybe quenching what the Spirit would do through you and grieving the heart of God. Because His heart is for the nation. His principal concern is to see people come to know Jesus. And if we don't share that, then he may hold back a little. Not abandon us, but he just might hold back that little bit more. And in the West, Western church, we've not been good at sharing our faith for generations. And I wonder if that goes some way to explaining why we are where we're at in our country why we're at where we're at in our denomination. That from 1995 to 2015, our membership in the Church of Scotland halved. Halved. Went from a half a million to a quarter of a million in 20 years. Because we delegated evangelism to someone else or assumed people would just come. Friends, let's not kid ourselves. The world has changed. We need to share our faith. They're not going to come through the doors if we don't not only love them, but share the faith with them. And let's also not kid ourselves. If we don't share the concern of the Spirit, then I think the Spirit will just distance himself a little bit until we are convicted enough, individually and as a community. But that too can change really quickly and powerfully as we respond to his promptings through the word, as we say yes to God and give ourselves to prayer for his concerns. Friends, I want to play you a video. I realize we're running over, but this video is so powerful. I saw it on Wednesday night at Alpha and it stuck with me and it summarizes so much of what I've been trying to get across and it probably does it much better. And so we're going to play that just now for you and uh, hopefully it is of benefit to you too. Some often ask, why did you get involved with crime? I said it wasn't a conscious decision. I didn't see the careers like in school and say it's a precaution from doing armed robbery. It was just there. It was all around us. And it all started with weed and drinking, cannabis and usual stuff. Uh, and we used to steal badges off expensive cars and swap them like trading cards. And it just progressed to the entire car. I got involved with people who were really pulling all the strings. So we went up to this guy's house who owed them a few hundred pounds. It was nothing to them. But the problem was he'd been going around telling everybody that he wasn't going to pay. So they had to set an example. So they got this guy, he was in his garden, his little lad was there. So he got out of the car, grabbed this bloke, put him in the car, sat between us, and he drove up to uh, what's called Niners Quarry. Pull the petals from up, 
like the boot of the car, gave it to me as to do his feet, strimmed his feet, just lacerated his feet. And this was my initiation. So that just moved on and on and on. Cut a long story short, Leeds Crown Court, courtroom number three, he handed me down seven and a half years, and I just thought to myself, that's it, gloves are off. If I'm gonna be bad, I'm gonna be the best kind of bad I can possibly be, because I've got to move from prison to prison to prison, put on category A maximum security because of my behavior. And there's this lad coming round, another inmate, comes up to me, and he says, uh, do you wanna go on an alpha course? I had no idea what he was talking about. I said, look, get out of your face, sunshine, before I slap you. I thought no more of it. The next day, and this kid's coming around with his clipboard again. So I'm just waiting for this kid to get within slapping range. And he must have sensed something wasn't right, because he blurted something out really quickly. He went, you get Wednesday, I'm doing that, I've ended up and get free coffee and get free biscuits. All right, I'll see you on Wednesday. And we just start giving her a hard time. Really hard time. The thing that stopped me, it wasn't what they said, because I wasn't really listening. But it was how they did it. They came back at me with love and compassion every single time. So I sat there on my bunk and I said the first real prayer I'd ever said in my life. I didn't know if I was doing it right or not. But the gist of it was, God, I need you to take away the anger, the violence, the hate. I need you to take away the addictions, which I've tried to fight and I just lose every time. And if you do that for me, I will live the rest of my life for you. But the next morning, I woke up, as I always had done. Rolled over to grab the smoke, as I always had done. But I couldn't touch it. Everything about it, the look, the thought, the smell, everything, made me want to be sick. And I knew what I had to do, so I went and got my little stash and I put it straight out the cell window. And as soon as it had gone, I started to feel a bit better. I started to calm down a little bit. But I was still freaking out. So I just said to myself, Daryl, calm down. Go get a wash, go get a shave. And as I started to get a wash, I looked in the mirror and just stopped dead. Because I didn't recognise my own reflection. I was like, that guy's smiling. Not just smiling. That guy's beaming. And I noticed it just looked different. I felt different. Everything had gone. It was just someone had unscrewed that top of my head and just poured freezing cold water in and everything had been just washed out clean. Well, the chaplain comes onto the wing and I just told him absolutely everything. And he said, the man that went to bed last night is not the same man that's standing here this morning. You're a new creation. And that was it. I said, no more. No more fighting. No more drugs. No more nothing. If you owe me anything, forget it. If you're holding anything of mine, keep it. I don't want it, I'm done, I'm finished. Jesus has saved me. And then when it came time for my release, <coughs> I knew I was going to go into full-time ministry. Reverend Mark Finch, JP, a magistrate, and he said, would you consider going to Hong Kong near Liverpool? We've got a new church plan, we're just getting caught in. There's a big problem with young people and gangs and drugs. Would you come? I knew it was the right place to go. So he picked me up from the gates on the morning of my release. Took me to his house, not her house, his home. And his eldest is his daughter, Rebecca who is now my wife and the mother to my two amazing children, Benjamin and Lydia Grace. My life just couldn't look more different than what it is now. Mm. Brothers and sisters, friends, the kingdom of God came in the person of Jesus 2,000 years ago, but even though we can't see him, he's still extending his kingdom by his spirit. The Spirit invites us to experience a new birth of being joined to Christ, part of God's people, such that we become a dwelling place of God individually and corporately. 
To each who has the Spirit, there is power over sin, there are gifts for service, and there is a call to be a witness through love and the sharing of the good news, so that the rule of God and the blessing of God might extend to the nations. I pray that we would be such a people, together and individually, who are full of the Spirit, and as such see the kingdom of God come in our midst. May it be so. Amen.